what would be beautiful to me is that our leadership would understand that they need to listen to all the voices. Welcome to the Inner Green Deal podcast, a podcast for sustainable, compassionate leadership. You just heard Dayan Dane, Chief Innovation Officer of the World Humanitarian Forum and founder of the initiative COPXX. I'm very happy to start season two together with Dayan. With an impressive track record in innovation and technology, and a mother of four, grandmother of four, she will help us to reflect on the question, how can we listen to all the voices when negotiating climate action? As we're releasing this first episode of season two, conference number 26 of the parties of the UN climate framework, COP26, is taking place in Glasgow. Within the next three episodes, we will be discovering the broader context of this conference, climate diplomacy, and how every one of us relates to the events at COP26 on an individual level. I'm your host, Tom Weiman, and I'm glad that you're with us to discover your inner green deal. Diane and I recorded our conversation in September of 2021. We started with the question, who are you and what is really dear to you? I am Diane Dane, and I uh, most recently uh, have led innovation efforts in multiple organizations. I'm currently the chief innovation officer for the World Humanitarian Forum. And before that, I was on the WHO innovation team uh, throughout the pandemic. And then prior to that, I uh, was set up the UN Technology Innovation Labs in multiple locations from the inception of that program and then led the Reboot Accelerator, which was at the UN and worked with youth designed to galvanize them to build solutions and be part of the solution building process, which we so desperately need for the climate. What is dear to me is really a deep connection to nature and I would say love. Um, love is the most dear to me, love of the planet, love of, you know, from as it sounds maybe a little corny, but to have a deep love for one thing, a tree, one item of nature that you deeply connect with, um, that is dear to me. Uh, and as well as my, my partner and my four children and my four grandchildren. And that love comes from, you know, deeply understanding that we are nurtured by Mother Earth and by Mother which I didn't have in the beginning of my life because my story began as an abandoned baby at a Salvation Army hospital um, and then into the largest foster care system in America and then adopted into a family. So I deeply understand what it means to have nurture and care in your life. Um, and that's what is dear to me. As Diane pointed out, the importance of a deep, loving connection to nature being nurtured and nurturing others. I wondered, how well are these values already guiding the decision-making when negotiating climate action on an international level? Uh, well, we're completely disconnected from the one thing that nurtures every single one of us. By If you just look around your room today, whatever room you might be in, everything you touch comes from the earth. Every single thing. From the device we're currently talking on to the cup of coffee to um, everything. And we're so disconnected from how it got there, from the process of 
understanding and really valuing that we would have nothing in our lives without a healthy planet, without a planet that we've extracted it from, oftentimes in very unethical ways and not nurturing back. There has been no reciprocity, um, which we, the more connected we are to the planet, like the indigenous populations are and have remained, the more we understand that it is a relationship of reciprocity. And we have just been taking, and it's time that we gave back. Not knowing what would be the result of the Glasgow conference by the time of our recording, and considering all polarization and perceived lack of progress, despite the urgency of the matter, Diane was pointing us to the importance of these conferences within the UN Framework Convention of Climate Change. I know there's a lot of um, cynicism about the COPs because there's been a perceived lack of progress, but the COP is a conference of parties, and this is the 26th conference of parties. That's what it stands for. And it's when ev all the leaders come together to address climate change. And I think we're at a point where we will see large commitments. You know, I, I'm an optimist, so I know there's good people in those systems that want change and want to affect change and want to make big commitments. Um, and, and so I believe that we will have change, but on a personal level, it will be far more significant and important and harder to achieve on an individual level. And this is so important. I mean, it is so important to come together as a community of leaders from every nation. So you have representation all across the globe that come together and try and make progress, which is inherently fraught with challenges. So they have an inherently incredibly challenging um, proposition to achieve. And um, despite that, I think it's such an important gathering and meeting, and it's so critical for the world and the planet at this time. Somehow, we all seem to have an innate understanding of the significance which the conferences of the parties have for the world. Yet, when head of states gather to negotiate climate action on an international level, it might feel really far away. Also, it might feel disconnected from our daily lives, especially when looking from the point of neglected perspectives. Given All her experience in humanitarian work, international negotiations, and the UN, I asked Diane whether she feels all voices are being heard currently. No, I don't think they are. In fact, I mean, it's been well publicized that they lack women representation for, for starters. That's a fact. Um, there are a lot of perspectives missing at COP26, and which I would advocate, you know, weights it in a less... A substantial and less balanced way, uh, we need more uh, community connection, care, love for those who don't necessarily factor into a GDP. Um, I think that when we just have one perspective and we view uh, those that are more vulnerable or weaker or don't necessarily have a voice at the meetings um, as vulnerable um, and someone to serve, we're not gathering the strength that lies within these populations, which is incredible, the wisdom and knowledge of exactly what we need at this time and age right now, where we're feeling so disconnected from everything and we don't, we, we're trying to rebuild communities online using technology because we don't have the communities 
that the indigenous populations and many of the core um, keepers of our biodiversity have. And we have so much knowledge to learn from them. And it's, you know, they're the keepers of 80% of our biodiversity on the planet, which is sustain is sustains all life. It's the foundation for all life. So shouldn't we go to them and take them and their advice and their words and their, you know, their perspectives seriously into the leadership ecosystem? I think that is what's missing. We need a polycentric approach that pools knowledge. And we need to design our way out of this crisis with listening to voices of the unheard. When it is about listening to the voices of the unheard and the values and the source from which we operate, we should also talk about COPXX. Beginning of 2021, Diane co-founded this initiative with a focus on bringing a restorative, nurturing perspective into the conferences of the parties. I asked Diane to kindly tell us the story of how the initiative came to life. XX stands for the, the feminine chromosome. It's in all of us, right? The X is in all of us. It also is not a number. So XX doesn't end this year at COP26. XX continues into the future. Um, and it really stands for the feminine principles which lie in all of us. It's not woman or man. It's all of us collectively coming together and putting the principles of compassion, community, care, love, sacrifice for others ahead of the masculine traits, which are extraction, competition. Um, you, I mean, we don't need to, we don't need to enumerate those. It's, it's what's created the mess that we're currently in. So we advocate for a voice for nature and incorporating the voices of those who have not been listened to. When you visit the website of COPXX, which we have linked in our show notes, you'll find the following statement. We advocate that the decision-making currently governed by man-made laws and those making decisions and policies must include and value nature and the principles of creation, kindness, respect, consideration, love and restoration. With COP26 so close, I wondered how can we value the principle of creation and include kindness, love and restoration to guide our actions, even when negotiating climate agreements. Before we can include that, we in this day and age right now need to innovate trust. Because we've decided through this pandemic and infodemic that's gone hand in hand that we don't trust the news and we don't trust each other. And in order for us to actually continue to build and begin to create change in the right direction, What we really need is to, um, at scale, push in the same direction. That's first and foremost. That's one of our biggest challenges. Um, and I think that is an internal mechanism. And it's, but it's an internal mechanism that each one of us have. And it's almost like a flame that is lying dormant. And if we allow it to be ignited by others who are carrying that flame, the flame of care and love and compassion. And we all know people like this. Um, this can spread rapidly all over the, all over the planet. Um, I think that, you know, it may sound a little idealistic and perhaps it is, but that's exactly what we need now. We need hope. The youth need to have hope. We don't need a world of cynical, you know, 
humans <laughs> to, 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 in order to solve this. We need a world of hope-filled humans in order to solve this, moving forward with connection and love. I find this remarkable. We were talking about an international climate summit, and Diane was very clear about the need to move forward with connection and love without being cynical. I wondered how open some maybe more conservative representatives would be towards embracing these values as the tenet of their actions. So we talked about what might help to build this bridge. You know, if we're talking from a governmental perspective, I'd love to bring out the Dasgupta report, which was issued um, by the UK government. Just to give you a little context, the report Diana's referring to is the independent review on the economics of biodiversity led by Professor Sir Partha Dasgupta. The report was published in February of 2021 for Her Majesty's Treasury UK, and we will link to that report in our show notes. It spoke about this. It spoke about how do we, what are the economics of biodiversity and how do we create this, this bridge to um, a healthier planet? And it actually had some really, really amazing um, actions that we could adopt and we could incorporate in, in Part of what it said was that the economics of our current system is really tilted against nature. Um, we were, you know, requiring some land protection, but also on the other hand, the government has subsidies that are harming our land and that outweigh the good. And I think as individuals, we can choose how we're going to lead our lives and we can choose how we're going to support and give our attention to the things which are healthier for the earth. We can choose to tilt for nature rather than against nature through our actions, through our attitudes, through how we're connecting with other humans. It's very much an inside, internal uh, green deal, which I know you're very familiar with. <laughs> Of course, I'm really glad that Diane is emphasizing the importance of this human inner dimension. So how do we do this? How do we tilt our economic behavior favoring nature? How do we foster our inner Green Deal and lead in this progress, especially in economically driven organizations? One resource could be the knowledge and the wisdom that has been preserved over hundreds and thousands of years. I found it remarkable that Diane's first impulse was actually to look at the history of the UN and what could that mean for us adults today, our children, grandchildren, and the generations to come. I, you know, I think we need to remember that the UN and their agencies were created to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war and humanitarian crises that affected us after World War II. And I, I strongly believe that as they reach out, I was in a meeting with UNFCCC and they spoke about some of the indigenous leaders in the countries who worked with indigenous populations and had large indigenous populations. And they told a story which I think is very indicative of how we need to move forward as, as a planet. Um, they, the government went and advised the indigenous leaders to change the way they fished and to decrease the holes in their fishing nets so that they could increase their catch and feed more of their population. 
because it was becoming a challenge to feed their populations and their, their communities. And the leaders of the indigenous population came back and said, we will not change how we fish because it will affect generations that are coming after us. And they said that they planned for seven generations. And I think that's a shift that we fundamentally need to make, that we're not doing this for our generation. We're not even doing this for our children's generation. We're doing this so our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren can look back and say that at this moment in time, we almost removed humanity from the planet because of our actions, but we turned it around. You know, what kind of an ancestor do you want to be remembered as? And that is how the indigenous populations live their lives. And that is something that we, as those who, of us who have removed ourselves from remembering that all of us are indigenous and all of us belong to the earth, need to deeply connect and begin planning for generations in advance, not just for today or for our children or for even our children's children. It feels to me we are going on a deep dive here. How do we want to be remembered? What kind of ancestor are we going to be for the generations to come? And how can we plan for several generations ahead? Maybe Diane is hinting us here onto what it could really mean to be an elder, or what wise leadership in times of climate change is really about. Maybe to help us guide our decisions, we could try to see ourselves from the eyes of the young. I've worked with thousands of youth at the UN. They have such good ideas. They have such amazing, all over the world, really, running this challenge, these challenges where we got solutions submitted. They're absolutely phenomenal, um, but they're watching us. And so what, what kind of modeling are we providing for the generation that's going to be raising the next generation and, and, and moving forward? Um, how do we want to be remembered? And I think that you know, that's something that's actually relevant as well as we make these decisions, that we're not just affecting the planet, but we're affecting the next generation who will be leading the planet. And that's something to deeply consider in our actions. Within some work environments, this might seem even a bit like an outlier, because there we find ourselves sometimes in such a different context. However, COPXX rephrases this question in another way, and they ask, If Earth was our organization, nature our CEO, and humanity our team, would we be making the decisions we see today? So how good of an employee are we if this were to be true? <laughs> That's, you know, the current, the current way we've been behaving is uh, we aren't pleasing our CEO. We aren't considering uh, our employer at all. Uh, we don't even take into account that we are paid by every, everything we do by this employer. And if we considered it, if we actually took the paradigm that our existence hangs in the balance, if we get fired from this organization called Planet Earth, you know, we would completely change how we acted and behaved. And we wouldn't shame others, but we would encourage others to join the efforts of love and appreciation and reciprocity. Uh, and we would stop the extraction. And we would stop 
the wholesale masculine, you know, competition and race that's driving us into the ground. Um, because we wouldn't be in existence. I mean, we're already seeing the effects of climate change and the most vulnerable populations are the ones that suffer the most because earth is just going to get rid of humanity. You know, I mean, if we, if we don't change our behavior, that's exactly what will happen. We will be fired from this beautiful planet. So I, I hope that, you know, our shareholders being the earth and the planet, that we would adjust not only our actions, but internally the love and appreciation that goes so far. When we really appreciate and love something, we don't harm it. We don't want to harm it. When we consider everything as alive rather than just an inanimate being, um, all of a sudden our behaviors change. You know, if trees could actually speak to us, we would be paying attention. But because their form of communication is different than ours, we assume that they have no knowledge or they have no way of connecting with us. When in reality, that's not the truth. And we are being watched by, very much watched by our planet and what we're doing and our actions. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, for me, it comes down to really love. Um, and I think that that can change everything. I feel really uplifted by Dan's optimism. So if the way we relate to ourselves, others, and the world around us can change everything, maybe on the long run, the shareholder value of Earth and the shareholder value of a company might not be so different from each other after all. I wondered, what is already happening that amazes Diane? What is emerging that gives us an outlook onto the possibilities and onto a desirable future ahead of us? Oh, well, I can give you one example. I, in building, working with youth and watching the solutions that we, they've built, some of them are phenomenal. I mean, we have enough technology, we have enough money, we have enough intelligence. It's not like we can't solve these problems. Um, so some of the things that give me hope, it's, it's the youth and solutions. For instance, I'll just give you an example. Um, one of the winners of the UN competition that we held was Grow Your Own Cloud which is the, one of the greatest emitters of pollution are these giant clouds that we're constantly uploading selfies to and pictures of our food and everything. There's a cost to that, to our environment. They're the largest, one of the largest, they emit more pollution than the entire airline industry. And we haven't even hit 5G yet. So when all the IOTs are uploading all of their data and the cars are uploading all of their data, it's only going to exponentially increase. And that storage, that same amount of storage can be stored in the DNA of plant, in the water, in the DNA of plants. And it requires about the same amount of water as a van, the size of a, a vehicle, a mobile van for in the entire world's data storage, which is I mean, it could be off quite a bit. I could be off on that a little bit, but that's phenomenal. And they've actually been able to do this now. So this group of youth have taken it forward. They've partnered with a university. They've now partnered with investors. And it's going to be rolling forward as a viable option. You could actually store your data in a houseplant and it could continue to replicate and live forever, actually. So solutions like that, where we're working with nature instead of against it, and where we're protecting the land, but, but you know, tilting 
our decisions towards a more ethical and being aware of that there are solutions out there and we're going to choose them as a collective, um, that's, that's how we begin to change the world in a positive way that's filled with hope. I, I don't believe in protests that are anger-filled. I understand the anger. I understand it. But I'm going to just go from the mom perspective for a minute. And if I have children that want to protest, I understand that protest. But at the same time, pick up trash. Do something. Do something positive. That's reciprocity. That's what's needed. In order for us to heal the planet, we need deep recipro reciprocity, appreciation, and hopeful action. I think Diane really makes a strong point here. Coming from this deep appreciation about what is nurturing us and how we relate to the world. It is probably not only about intention, but right now, more than ever, it's also about stepping into hopeful action. It doesn't matter how much that step might seem, much rather about starting the journey. With the notion of a beginner's mind, I finally asked Diane if she might gift us with something to reflect upon in order to step into that action. I, I would say the greatest solutions and the greatest movements came from one person's mind. And it could be your mind. Just the fact that you're in existence right now is a miracle of miracles. And our solutions, it doesn't matter where they come from. Where If you're in the lowest, most you know, oppressed situation and you have an idea, it is possible to sprout that idea into something significant that could change the world. It has been done many, many times. And in fact, that is the only way the world has changed. And with such a beautiful statement, It felt to me like there was only one thing left for me to do, which was to express my deep gratitude and appreciation, saying thank you to Diane for being our guest and sharing so many important insights and hope with us. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. It's such a pleasure to be here, and um, I wish you so much success in changing hearts and minds because it really is an inner green deal that has to come first. I'm so grateful to Diane for sharing her compassion and her courage with us. So if it is an inner green deal that has to come first, how can we foster it? Diane mentions reciprocity, deep appreciation and hopeful action. So I invite you to contemplate together with me on this over the course of this week. How can we hear all the voices when we come together? When we gather at COP conferences, within our companies and also at home. Even more so, how can we hear all the voices within ourselves, especially the quieter ones, the ones that will stand in for caring, nurturing, preserving, even restoring what is around us. In this regard, when preparing our conversation, Diane and I talked about being inspired and we both independently from each other mentioned the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer so we've also put this into the show notes for your reference, in case you're curious. In the upcoming episode around COP26, Jeroen Jans will be welcoming Dutch climate envoy Marcel Bökeboom. Together, they will both explore the question, how can we all be climate diplomats? This upcoming episode will help us to explore the broader context of climate politics and understand how we personally relate to the events in Glasgow.
If you like to start a dialogue or support the Inner Green Deal, please reach out to us via the show notes. Thank you for being with us on the journey to an Inner Green Deal. Um, and maybe this sounds Pollyanna and you don't want to add it into your, into your podcast <laughs> for your audience. But I think I, I truly believe that. But we have to increase the hope of our youth. to continue to model hopeful behavior for the next generation. We have an obligation to that to do that.